Welcome to MD, a podcast brought to you by HotDoc, where practices and practitioners connect with Australian patients. I'm Michael, I'm the content editor here at HotDoc, and in this podcast I talk to doctors from all over the world who are pushing the boundaries of medicine to improve patient outcomes. In this episode I talk to Dr. Sandeep Johar, a cardiologist and a writer for the New York Times. Dr. Johar has written three books, his most recent Heart, A History, is a beautifully written book that tells the, the colourful history of, of the heart, uh, the, the doctors who risk their careers um, to, to, to find out more about the heart, the, the patients who risk their lives to, to be operated on so doctors could learn more about the heart. And uh, it, it really tells just generally the, the past of, of, of how we've learnt what we know today or what cardiologists know today about the heart. The book has received many awards. It was the Amazon Best Book of the Month. It was a New York Times book club pick for January 19, um, and, and, and plenty more awards along the lines. As well as the New York Times, Dr. Johar's opinions have appeared on NPR, CNN, and MSNBC, and his essays have been published in Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, and Slate. This episode is a little shorter than most. Dr. Johar was between shifts at the hospital when we spoke, and we had uh, very limited time. Still, there, there is a ton to take away from the 30 minutes that we did uh, have together. And I also apologize in advance for the, the poor sound quality on my end. I had a little mic malfunction just before jumping on the call and, and thought it was best just to you know, pull the, the external mic and just talk directly into the computer. But I'm, I'm sure you'll find it bearable. Let's dive in. Just to kind of begin with, um, it would be good to just share a little bit about yourself for those who, who may not have heard of you. Sure, sure. Um, so I uh, am a cardiologist. I work on Long Island. Uh, I've been writing uh, for the New York Times for about 20 years, um, and I've written three books. And my latest is Heart, a History. It's a history of the human heart, uh, you know, both symbolic um, you know, emotional as well as uh, medical and scientific. Uh, and, and it's a personal story uh, as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's me in yeah, a nutshell. That's, that's right. And I, I want to get to the book, but in terms of being a cardiologist, um, was, it, was this something that you always kind of had in your mind before going into med school? Or maybe just thinking about what first drew you to be a doctor and then, and then specifically a cardiologist? Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I was always fascinated by the human heart, um, just the gravity of it, you know, the fact that it was responsible for so much death. And that death was very often sudden, um, you know, which was baffling to me that just the whole concept of sudden death, that someone could be seemingly healthy and, and die within a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that just seemed um, just an astonishing fact uh and so i was always really interested in uh in the heart and you know my my family history um you know played into that my my grandfather as you know from reading the book my paternal grandfather died suddenly of a of a sudden you know of a sudden heart attack um when he was uh you know in his uh, early 50s he actually died in the presence of my father who was having lunch with him and you know, like many people who have witnessed a sudden death of a loved one, my, my father never got over it. And, um, and so that kind of um, pathos, you know, uh, suffused my childhood, you know, just my father would think about his own father and, and sometimes, uh, you know, become very emotional. He would, he would cry, mm-hmm. 
you know, especially when he was under stress. And, um, and so I kind of grew up with this fear and respect of the heart as the executioner of men in the prime of their lives. Uh, and, and I used to worry about my father. So, so that uh, really got me, um, you know, interested in, in the heart. I wasn't sure if I was going to be a doctor or do something else, um, to be honest, but, but in the end, um, you know, I, I decided to pursue medicine and, and, and while pursuing medicine, there was really very little doubt in my mind that, that I wouldn't do something, um, you know, related to the heart. My, my, my brother is also a cardiologist. Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, um, you know, he, he also was probably attracted to the field for, for somewhat similar reasons. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, heart history is a, it's your third book. So I'm interested yes. at, at, at which point did is it, was it because you felt like, cause it sounds like the heart has always been a really big part of, you know, why you've chosen to be a doctor why did the book come about at, at this point, you know, or, or 2018 when it was released? Right. I mean, you know, I had thought about writing uh, a book like this for, for a number of years, but, you know, there were, I mean, uh, you know, there, there were other projects that, that came up or, you know, um, I, I got my first book uh, contract in 2003, but the book that, the publisher wanted me to write was very different than, than heart of history. It, it was a, uh, a sort of a, a memoir of my, my training, my, my uh, hospital training in New York city. So that book um, ended up getting written. That was my first book. It was called intern, uh, a doctor's initiation. And then um, my second book uh, doctored um, really came out in a, in a play in a time in my life when I was, very down on medicine, actually. Um, I had just finished my, uh, my medical training, my cardiology training. I was getting ready to start my first job. Um, it was actually 19 years after I graduated from high school. So I had been in school for a very, very long time, and I was ready to kind of, you know, reap the rewards of all that hard work. And, and I started working, and, and I found that many physicians in America uh, in in New York, specifically, were very unhappy with medicine, and he just got me thinking about what, you know, the 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 state of of American medicine, and and why physicians are so unhappy. Um, and what I realized in the end was that the, there was an existential crisis going on. It was it wasn't a crisis over paperwork or income. It was really more of a a deeper crisis over the fact that physicians were working in a system that wasn't letting them practice medicine the way they wanted to practice, not allowing them to have sort of independence and autonomy in, in making judgments, um, uh, you know, like they had enjoyed for, you know, really generations. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I felt compelled to write my second book because I was just sort of embroiled in that, in that moment, um, you know, finishing up my training. Um, and then, you know, when things settled down in my life, then I finally went back and, and, and thought about writing this book about the heart. And, and, and actually, you know, uh, uh, sorry, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I am. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I can never tell. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so can, yeah, yeah. Periodically, I'm going to say, yeah. uh, you know, but um, I started uh, 
uh, it, it, so, so when I started writing the book, I actually wasn't aware of just how fascinating the history of cardiology is, how uh, the, the fascinating discoveries. You know, I, I knew about the heart as a machine and how amazing it is that, you know, that it can, it works so hard, harder than really any organ. It's, it's the only organ that discernibly moves within the human body. Um, it, it, it has an electrical field that's 6,000 times that of the brain. You know, it, oh, wow. it, 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 it has a sort of fascinating, um, you know, biological properties. Uh, but what I learned um, in addition to that, that really was uh, the, the driving force of the book is that the history of heart discoveries is absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, the, the, so many of the advances were made uh, in America, uh, but, but also abroad uh, in, you know, you know, essentially after World War II. I mean, it, there's still, it, it's a relatively new field. And when you think about how long the heart has been killing people, heart disease has been killing people. It's just amazing. Um, it was amazing for me to discover, for example, that the heart had never been operated on until the end of the 19th century. Every other organ in the body had been operated on, including the brain, but not wow. the heart. And there are reasons for that. You know, uh, and one obvious one is that the heart is always moving. So it's very hard to, you know, cut into and suture an organ or you know, piece a part of the body that's always moving. So how do you solve that problem? Also, the heart's always is, is filled with blood. So if you cut it open to fix something, you would bleed to death. Mm -hmm. um, if you drained it of blood and stopped it so you could operate on it, then you develop brain damage within three minutes. Yeah. So how do you solve this problem? It was it was a massive sort of um, obstacle in modern medicine and the book details how, how that was done. It was, it's just a fascinating story involving, um, you know, sort of swashbuckling, um, uh, you know, men, mostly men, um, who uh, were larger than life characters. Some of them were, you know, cheated on their wives. This was the madman era. They, 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 they used drugs. Uh, they were addicted. Yeah. Uh, they 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 often experimented on themselves. You know, these crazy stories. And and as I learned more about it, I just felt like, well, this is going to be a great book. Yeah, no, I love it. And and with World War Two, you said that that's when heart surgery became a, a a big thing. Is that is that because of you know the wounded coming back, or or was there advances because of the war? Yeah, or? I mean, there there, yeah, there there were. Um, the, the chest surgery um, really got a huge um, advance in World War II, um, you know, and, um, you know, you know be, because of battlefield injuries. So uh, Dwight Harkin was one of the first to actually remove shrapnel from a human heart. Um, I think that was in probably something like 1940. Um, but there were all, there was already work being done even prior to the war on the heart lung machine, which ultimately was going to be the, um, 
the way to operate on the human heart because, you know, it's very hard to operate on something that's moving. So you have to stop it. But if you stop the heart, uh, then the blood inside it would clot. So you have to drain it of blood. So you have a stopped, a still empty organ. Well, how do you circulate oxygen to the organs that need it? Well, you need an artificial heart, an artificial heart lung machine. Yeah. So that was a huge undertaking. And that started prior to World War II. Started really in the, in the late 1920s. But it didn't really come to fruition until uh, 1953. Uh, so there were, you know, it was a 25 years of development. And, you know, part of it was that there was the Great Depression, uh, and then there was World War II, and there were a lot of um, interruptions in the research. But part of it was also that, that I think the heart has always occupied an outsized um, place in the human imagination, in the cultural imagination. And, and, and I think that was also an obstacle. Like how, you know, how do you operate on the organ that's, that houses the human soul? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that also played a role in slowing things down. But, but in the end, um, uh, you know, the heart lung machine was invented and it opened up, you know, a whole, uh, you know, world uh, of, of, of new um, you know, medical therapies. Yeah. And I, and I know that you mentioned that, you know, that there was a bunch of discoveries that kind of, kind of became the basis of the, of the book. Was there, was there, or is there one that, that really stands out in your mind as really pushing along cardiology? Yeah, I mean, there, there are several. I mean, I, I would say that the ones I wrote about to me were the most significant. One is obviously Werner Forsman, you know, the, the German intern who catheterized his own heart, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you read that chapter. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, he, he, he inserted uh, a, a rubber tube inside his vein and pushed it up to his own heart and then walked down the steps to the x-ray machine and, and took a picture. Um, that was the beginning of, you know, invasive cardiology. Um, that was 1929. Uh, I also think that some of the most amazing work was done by Walt Lillehei, who is a, a, a Minnesota surgeon, cardiac surgeon. M many would consider him the most innovative surgeon of the 20th century, one of the greatest surgeons of all time. He spearheaded so many amazing advances, but you know, he started doing heart operations even before uh, the heart-lung machine the artificial heart lung machine was developed, his idea was to use a person as a, you know, a donor uh, as a human heart lung machine. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, connected up children to their parents, uh, you know, artery to artery, vein to vein, and had the parents' blood circulate through the child uh, and nourish the child's vital organs and remove waste products, just like uh, a pregnant mother, you know, uh, delivers uh, nutrients and oxygen and removes waste from her fetus. Um, in exactly the same way, he, he did this, this uh, technique called cross circulation. Um, this was even before the heart lung machine and, and it actually worked. 
I mean, it was, it was, it's, it's, it's really an, an, an amazing story. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I think those are two of the, you know, really amazing, um, you know, stories in the book. I, I think the story of how, uh, the Heartland machine was developed by John Gibbon, uh, how he used to go, um, out and, and, uh, capture stray cats, uh, on, on the streets of Boston and, and come bring them back to the lab and experiment on them yeah. uh, all the while developing this machine over the course of 25 years. Um, he didn't work on anything else in his career. I mean, that's unheard of mm-hmm. today, you know, where, you know, people don't uh, take on huge projects with very little potential uh, upside. Um, academia just doesn't work that way anymore, but, you know, he, he, he did what was, what was necessary and, and, uh, and really changed the course of history. So, I mean, those are all stories that I just found really fascinating. Yeah. Now there's, there's plenty in the book and in terms of maybe, maybe even thinking beyond the book, I mean, and, and if the book overlaps, that's, that's, that's great as well, but it's just, are there common misconceptions about the heart? Are there common misconceptions? I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, I think the most fundamental one is that, um, the heart is just a biomechanical pump. Uh, that's the story that's been advanced um, by doctors and, and even, you know, even medical uh, organizations like the American Heart Association um, for decades and decades. It, this idea that we've learned so much about the heart that, it, that in the end, it's just a machine with pipes and wires um, and chambers and moving parts and valves, um, and it's all that. But one of the arguments I make in the book is that that the the ancient philosophers, their conception of the of the human heart as a as as an emotional organ, as the repository of the soul of of human emotions, bravery, love, and so on. These things, that conception still has you know a vital role to play in our modern understanding of the heart in other words the heart is not is a biomechanical pump but it's it's much more than that it's it's a very emotional organ it responds uh to stress to grief um uh, i i write in the book about the takasubo cardiomyopathy the broken heart syndrome where the heart can acutely weaken in response to acute grief Mm-hmm. Um, like after the death of a loved one, I, 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 I don't know if you've seen my TED talk, but I gave a TED talk on that, yeah. um, that, uh, so, um, that has a lot of information if you want to use that for your article, but, um, but you know, the idea that, that, that I hope my, my book would sort of append is this misconception that the heart is just purely a pump. It's not. It's 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 uh, it's much more than that, uh, and so the I tried to explore, um, especially in the latter part of the book, the intersection of the emotional heart that um, you know philosophers uh, had had uh, you know the ancient Greeks had had, um, had 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 written about and the the um, biological heart which is really the, um, the modern paradigm, the, the one that, that comes from, you know, Lilla High and Forsman and all these 
great scientists. And, and I try to look at that intersection and, you know, what is that intersection? And, um, and there's so many examples uh, of how the emotional heart overlaps the, the biological heart. There's the Takasubo cardiomyopathy, which is, um, you know, a, a, a uh, acute damage to the heart from, from grief or, st or, or stress. Um, but there's also very well um, accepted now, um, uh, well-documented uh, effects of chronic stress on the heart. Um, in increasing the risk of uh, coronary artery disease, for example. Um, and so chronic stress, like, like occupational stress, for example, has been shown to have very, very uh, negative effects on human health. Mm -hmm. um, and so I talk about that um, in the book. So both acute grief and chronic stress are ways in which the metaphorical heart, if you will, um, overlap with the biological heart. Yeah, no, I I love that kind of the the concept of it, it, that it's this it's almost ever changing how we're how we're viewing it, and the more we learn about it, the more it changes. Is would you say that? And obviously, you know, yourself um, writing a book like like this is is spearheading how we kind of view the heart. But would you say that um, other cardiologists that they how how do they perceive the heart? They, like, is it changing? No, I mean, I, I think it mostly, most cardiologists still think of it as a machine. Um, and, you know, we, we were not taught about, about psychosocial stress in, in, in medical school. You know, even in, in my cardiology training, I mean, there was never a discussion, you know, about the, the importance of the emotional life in heart health. We would talk about, you know, stents and pacemakers and, and, um, you know, systemic vascular resistance or chamber capacitance. You know, we do talk about all the biological, biomechanical, biophysical concepts, mm -hmm. but the psychosocial was something that was relegated to, um, you know, to, 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 well, it was largely ignored. Uh, and, and so I think most cardiologists trained in that sort of paradigm and, and, you know, the, the, the American Heart Association, as I point out in the book, still doesn't regard um, psychosocial stress as a key modifiable risk factor for heart disease. Um, and that's probably in part because, because um, you know, doctors can't reduce psychosocial stress, at least not easily. Mm -hmm. uh, we can easily prescribe a pill to reduce cholesterol or blood pressure. But psychosocial stress, you know, is so complicated and it, it, it depends on so many different variables, largely out of our control, that we just don't like to think about it. But, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's how, does, how do the emotions affect, um, you know, affect heart health? And, um, you know, there's, there, there's, there's a lot of data, you know, but as I point out, so little of it comes from randomized controlled trials. It's very hard to do, you know, or people just haven't done controlled trials. You know, you, there are observational studies of people who've done yoga or, you know, people who um, take, uh, uh, you know, antidepressants, for example, in the sad heart study. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, there's evidence that treating depression um, is beneficial for the heart. But these are like relatively small studies uh, and, and, and they really haven't... Um, 
you know, been been widely publicized. Mm-hmm. You know, even the the Dean Ornish studies that suggest that um, you know people who uh, you know adopt a a, a low-fat vegetarian diet, uh, a reasonable amount, um, amount of exercise, and 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 uh, group psychosocial support, they have much less progression. In fact, they have, uh, in some cases, have regression of coronary disease. Um, and and, and uh, you know, most people focus on the diet and the and the exercise component, but the psychosocial important. Uh, component according to Ornish is just as important in, in, in some cases it may be even more important so um, so I think it's uh, you know things are changing slowly uh, but I think we just don't have the research um, like you know the Framingham heart study that 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 found the well-known cardiac risk factors like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, and so on. That study, as I pointed out in, in the book, was done by scientists who decided to ignore psychosocial factors because they wanted to keep their study rigorous. So I think that ignoring those factors led to um, you know, a, a dearth in, uh, in investigation in, in, into this psychosocial realm, which which, uh, you know, I think we're, we're paying for. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see, yeah, like when it becomes difficult to, to follow the data, it, it becomes easy to abandon it. It's, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, you, that you're at the hospital, you don't have much time. So I just kind of wanted to get your gauge on where do you think the future of cardiology is going? Well, I mean, you know, I, we've made huge advances. I think we're going to continue to make technological advances. Um, but so much of cardiology today is making sort of iterative changes, you know, uh, in inventing um, me too drugs, you know, drugs that, that sort of mimic, uh, you know, drugs that are already known to be beneficial and maybe may have sort of small iterative, iterative um, uh, benefits, but, but, you know, not um, anything that, that, you know, is, is sort of mind blowing. Um, you know, even some of the procedures, uh, the procedural work is 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 being done in in um, you know introducing the procedures, you know, in a more timely way, uh, making making um, the process uh, more uniform. Um, these things will continue to yield some benefit, but there'll be um, there's a limit to how much you know we're going to be able to to continue um, to reduce cardiovascular mortality if we just continue to iterate along this, the same paradigm. And so, you know, my hope is that, that there'll be great research done in the psychosocial realm that will, um, you know, advance the field, um, you know, along an orthogonal direction from the way it's been progressing you know, which is purely along a sort of biomechanical uh, model. And so it'd be, it'd be great to see some of that. But on the technical front, I mean, there's, there's still great work to be done. I mean, now we can replace valves without open heart surgery. Um, we can, um, there's still work and still some promise in stem cells 
Um, yep. You know, and and there's still all sorts of devices. Um, and 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 you know, eventually the hope is that we'll progress to an artificial heart. Um, but uh, you know, that's still a long, long way off. As I point out in the book, there's there's still uh, huge obstacles, technical obstacles to to making that work. Yeah. Yeah. And my last question is just, it's very much along those lines, but if, if you've got, you know, say a young registrar or, or a doctor who's, who's, or a cardiologist, maybe more specifically, do you have kind of any advice for someone who's entering the field with, it seems like you've raised a few things in, in terms of how we see the organ um, of the heart. And yeah, is, do you have any advice for someone who's kind of beginning their own journey? Well, I mean, um, I mean, you know, it's it's a hard it's a hard field, it really is. I mean, and but it's it's a one that's highly rewarding because we have so many therapies that that other areas of medicine don't enjoy. I mean, you know, I'm getting more interested in brain medicine, um, but the 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 therapies are 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 lacking um you know cardiology is relatively advanced uh in in and and so that's very attractive for a lot of young uh trainees you know to 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 learn things that can really help people so you know i would say that you know i you know work really hard and and master the the techniques because they work they really do and the drugs work um uh, you know statins and and cardiac stents and all that they work in the right populations when they're used in the right way but the overuse of has harmed patients and so i would you know encourage young people to 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 learn the limitations of you know how far technology can go Mm -hmm. uh you know we don't want to be putting defibrillators into 90-year-olds. We can, but we, we shouldn't. Um, that's my feeling. Yeah. Uh, and so, so there are a lot of ethical issues that come up in a field that can prolong life like cardiology can. But it's, uh, you know, you, you have to be smart about, you know, how we use the technology. learn more about Dr. Sandeep Johar, head to sandeepjohar.com. I also encourage you to head to the podcast section of Hot Doc, where we'll put links to all the people, all the studies, everything mentioned in today's episode. Just Google Hot Doc, H-O-T-D-O-C, and the word podcast, um, and you'll find the page. And as always, share this episode with someone if you found value in it. That's the, the best way that you can help support the show, is just to share. Until next time. <laughs>